It's been a really disruptive year, I think, is one way to capture uh, what we've been through. Many families have said they've grown closer because they've spent so much time together. Busy people I know have reassessed their lifestyle and asked the question, next year do I need to be doing so much? I've enjoyed having nights, having some time on the weekends to restore my soul and my well-being and connect with others. Of course, some have reported challenges, enormous setbacks, new struggles, deep heartache. To me, this moment in history right now as we lead into Christmas kind of feels like digging out a garden bed, stirring up the soil, pulling out the old plants and and even weeds and staring down 2021 with the question, with freshly turned soil, what now? What next? What are we going to do here? What are we going to plant in here? And disruptive times provide us that privilege of asking the question, what next? Came across an article during the week where the New York Times was covering the beginning of the rollout of those coronavirus vaccinations to health workers in the US. One interview was with a Dr. Hagen in Kansas who has been working 12-hour shifts every day for the past month and a half to manage the surge in hospitalizations. She's seeing 50 patients each day and managing five new wards that have been turned into corona wards. In her interview, she said, I could almost cry talking to you now, she said. She has her sleeve rolled up and she's um, receiving her vaccination. And she says, I feel like I didn't just get a vaccine. I got a shot of hope. It's hope that this is the beginning of the end of this terrible pandemic that we've been experiencing and all the suffering and tragedy that's associated with what we've seen. I just loved that image. It caught me by surprise. She said, it was like getting a shot of hope in my arm. And hope is such a wonderful picture, an image of a positive future. Hope is such a central part of the Christmas story that we celebrate now and kind of officially in in five days' time. But at the same time, the thing about hope is that it's so intangible. Of course, hope is simply, you would describe it as a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. And the truth is that we can put hope and expectation, desire that a certain thing would happen, into a whole bunch of different things. At the time, some of those things can seem so certain for the future Some of the time we don't even think about it. It's kind of an invisible expectation until until disruption occurs. And as disruption comes, it shakes us, it unsteadies us. This morning, I guess I want to ask you, what do you notice about where you find your hope? Many of us might have realized over this year that our hope was in a job, it was in a particular aspect of our lifestyle that became shaky or unattainable at some time. Maybe that was a holiday going for us in Melbourne, going out of Melbourne, dare I say it, became something that wasn't, that was a hope for the future, not a current reality. Our own health, the healing of a loved one, the presence of a loved one, our bank account, our status, 
And I think I could bring a message like this uh, coming into Christmas any year as we, um, as we all experience different disruptions in our lives. But certainly this year in a more focused way, some of these things will have been interrupted for all of us. And as such, as people that I'm speaking to this morning who are coming into Christmas, not only having experienced disruption in your lifestyle, but having experienced a disruption in your hope. So where do we place our hope? The Christmas story, of course, has long been associated uh, with being a, a time of hope and a story of hope. And I guess that's for a bunch of really good reasons. Maybe that recollection of, uh, of a time in childhood where as children we would hope for a great gift. Maybe it's a reflection of my current reality as a husband, hoping that I bought the right present for my wife, hoping for our families to unite, hoping for those that we know or maybe we don't even know that live on the margins of life that we hope will have a positive community experience at this time of year as well. If we go back to the original story, which you could read for yourself, if you open up the Bible, if you're not familiar with reading the Bible, it is a confusing thing to to begin to look at all these books joined together to tell us the story of God. But if you were to look in Matthew chapter 1 and 2 or Luke chapter 2, or if you were to read both of them, take you about 10 minutes, you'll read that story of Jesus from some of the early accounts. If you go back to that story, it is completely a story of hope. It's hope that God is near to people, nearer than we ever expected. It's hope that God hasn't abandoned humanity and is bringing his plans and his promises to fulfillment. Because it was out of hope that the Magi, or as we used to call them, the wise men, that they followed a star on a journey of many months, more than a thousand kilometers through the desert. That's hope, to follow a sign and to keep on following. It was out of hope that the shepherds jumped out of their skin when a crowd of angels appeared singing their heavily songs, but it was hope to engage with that story and not just hide when the supernatural appears and no doubt everything else in them except for their hope. Hope that this was a positive message. Hope that this was a benefit and a blessing for the future, not something as terrifying as it seemed that kept them stuck there and not ducking for cover. Hope does that. It keeps us engaged. It was out of hope that Mary says yes to God's plan of conceiving a child in her. Because, of course, that would have created tension for her family, her community, set her up to be a victim of town gossip, to jeopardize her relationship with her fiancé and, and my guess is, other relationships as well. But that's hope to say yes to God and trust Him entirely with the outcomes, trust Him entirely with our life. They follow the government directive, which was to go to the town of, of um, 
Joseph's birth. And so they arrive at Bethlehem heavily pregnant without even booking an Airbnb, without even having a guarantee of accommodation available, carrying the hope of the world. And so that Christmas story is a story of hope. And I hear that story and I rejoice, but I find myself honestly rejoicing for the people that were there, for the people that were in the story, in the moment. They had been promised a savior generations before and they received news that that savior was coming. The Magi realized that that constellation in the sky, that big star meant something special was happening there. The shepherds were confronted with the news and I'm happy for them. But it does require a little bit of work, a bit of thinking to actually apply that into hope for my life, for your life. How does the story of a baby born in Bethlehem apply to our lives five days out of Christmas in 2020? I came across this story a few months ago and found it both heart-wrenching and inspiring and definitely full of hope all at the same time. I want to share it with you now. In 1871, the great Chicago fire began in a barn where allegedly a cow kicked over a lantern, and that cow is to blame for ferocious flames and a fire that went completely out of control and burned for two days until rain began to fall and helped to put it out. It destroyed t- 10 square kilometers. And in, in uh, 1871 figures, it destroyed $200 million worth of property. Can't even begin to imagine how much that would be now. It killed 300 people. One of the people affected was a successful lawyer and real estate investor. His name was Horatio Spafford. He lost a fortune through the decimation of his real estate assets and to add insult to injury in that same year, his four-year-old son died through scarlet fever. Two years later in 1873, his family took a further financial hit through the economic downturn of that year. And so as they grieved the loss of lifestyle and, and, and child or brother in, in their family, Horatio thought a holiday would do his family some good and help them all to refocus and to reset. And I know people are really looking forward to their January holidays for that exact same reason, to refocus, to reset, to decompress, to take some time to reflect and to move on. Well, that was all of a good idea. And the plan was that following some English respite, They would join a guy called D.L. Moody, an evangelist from Chicago who was on tour in Europe and help out for a bit, putting their focus onto God. So he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship to England, planning to join them shortly after he finished because there was some pressing business at home. They were rezoning Chicago and he needed to be there to make sure that he was able to recover some of what had been lost. While crossing the Atlantic Ocean, his wife and four daughters were on a ship that was involved in a 
late night terrible freak collision quickly sunk. And despite her every effort, his wife Anna was unable to save her children. Heartache on heartache. That night, more than 200 people lost their lives before another cutter was able to come to their rescue. His wife, Anna, was the sole survivor in their family of that tragedy. And so, arriving home in England, she sent the now famous telegram, Saved Alone, What Shall I Do? And this is where I think we get an example to imitate and a bit of an idea, a principle to apply about how it is that we access hope. Because many of us expect, I know I do, that hope comes in full-grown form. Hope comes as a mature adult. Hope comes ready for the picking. But I think hope is more like a garden bed that's freshly turned and is ready for planting. I think hope is more like a small, vulnerable baby born into the world but still requiring nurture and care and love for it to flourish into a mature adult, to to flourish into that which is what we are expecting and hoping for. But it is so easy when facing heartache and tragedy I can't even imagine for Horatio and Anna Spafford the heartache and tragedy that they were experiencing. Wouldn't it be so easy in those moments to escape and to run the other way, to medicate the pain, to turn to alcohol, to turn to work, to turn to any other manner of other of addictions or or paths to escape, to suppress the pain. Wouldn't it have been easy for Horatio to turn his back on his old life and move on? But here's the key. He doesn't do that. He engages with it and he rushes on the first ship to England to be by his wife's side. And as he travels and as they sail for England... The captain, aware of the fact that a tragedy had struck the the Spafford family, calls Horatio up to the cabin and he says, around about here is the spot where your four daughters perished. And again, Horatio could have gone to a personal escape, but he chose not to. He chose to engage with the pain. He cried out to Jesus, the author of his hope. And he described a transcendent peace that overcame him. And he began to write these words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. You might have heard those words. I heard them singing that hymn as a child. It is well with my soul became a song that has been sung in churches ever since. A reflection of the deposit of hope that came to a man facing enormous tragedy and complete disruption to his life. That poem became the lyrics of a a hymn that, 
that tells us that we cannot put our trust entirely in those good things that we we have and we hope for and, and that are real, but we cannot put our trust entirely in them. Our trust transcends those things. The fruit of this family's trust continues, and in fact, the, the, uh, the legacy of their life goes on after this moment, not before. The story continues following the sinking of the ship. They have three more children. One of them tragically dies. And this final tragedy, after a decade of financial loss and personal grief, began Horatio's philosophical move away from material success and and the striving and the the way that he'd approached his life. And it began a lifelong spiritual pilgrimage, all for Jesus. Anna and Horatio Spafford soon moved on from the church they'd helped build and hosted prayer meetings in their home. And they then uh, went with 13 adults and three children to plant a community in Jerusalem. And there they put love into action and gained the trust of all of the local religious communities. And some of the work that they began there still continues today. During and after World War I, this community was essential to Muslim, Jewish, and Christian communities on the Eastern Front. They hosted soup kitchens, hospitals, started orphanages, and put their hope in Jesus into love in action. It is well, it is well with my soul. But who would have thought that this family's biggest contribution would have been after so much loss? That's where I think hope in the right place ultimately helps transform tragedy into triumph. If we go to the Bible, Isaiah is a book that we find in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament mentions the fact that Jesus is coming. It, it promises and it hints that he will arrive. It doesn't give a time or a date, but it says a Savior is coming. The world's broken and in disrepair, but he's coming. He's coming at the right time. In the book of Isaiah, it's, it's especially the second part of it, it's, it's packed full of future promises. This one was written more than 500 years before Jesus actually came. Can you imagine being a generation in between the promise being given and and the promise being fulfilled? Hanging on in there, sustaining faith in those moments for a future that's not yet realized. That's what hope is. And this one, chapter 40, is all about the promise and prediction that there is one coming who will bring everlasting good news, who will be God, who is kind like God is kind. And there is one coming that will announce good news about this. In verse 28, it says this, Do you not know? Have you not heard? 
The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those who hope in the Lord. This morning I'm here to encourage you to put your hope first and foremost in Jesus. And many of us know the full story. We know the fact that Jesus grew up as a, as a child working in his, in his dad's business and then he continues to be a, a child growing in wisdom and stature until we see the, the bulk of the story in his three years of public ministry. And we know how this plays out. And if you're like me, you tend to want to jump ahead in the story. This morning, I'm going to ask you to just sit with the story of Christmas, a promise fulfilled, not as, a, not as an adult fully mature, not as, a, not as a fully expressed and explored uh, a savior, but as a tiny baby, as a representative of possibility, as a seed of hope, as an assurance that now that he's here, everything's going to be okay. That's the Christmas story, and that's the story of hope. I'm going to ask you this morning to sit with that, a baby being born, the bringer of hope. And whether you were there at the very first Christmas like the shepherds were, or whether you were there in 1873 when tragedy struck and Horatio Spafford could say, it is well with my soul, or whether you're here right now, December 20, 2020. What a great date. Whether you're here right now in this moment, you too can put your hope in the Lord. And may this promise also be a blessing to you that in putting your hope first and foremost in him, relaxing and trusting him, just like Horatio did, just like the shepherds did, just like the magi explored as they followed that star. As you put your hope first and foremost in him, that you will renew your strength. And that for you this Christmas, and as we go into 2021, that your life would be described as this, that you would soar on wings like eagles, that you would run and not grow weary, that you would walk and not be faint. Brian Bilston put hope into a poem, and it's a short little poem It goes like this. If you don't want to lose hope, tie it to a rope and pull yourself to safety because hope has the power to lift you up, whether your problems are light or heavy. As you grab onto that rope, you might have hope in a whole bunch of great things and, and those things are wonderful. 
But first and foremost, let's remember our hope in Jesus. The best kind of hope came in a small and fragile form, a baby. This Christmas, I pray that you would embrace that hope, that you would nurture that hope, that you would take care of it, and that this Christmas, the Lord would renew your strength and take care of you.